Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Football Engine podcast. This is episode 21. Um, in this episode we will talk about the some uh, friendlies now that preseason has started for most teams. Uh, and the Olympics just finished, so we will uh, kind of talk a lot about that as well. For this episode, uh, I'm joined by Olivia again. Yeah, thank you for having me. So I think we'll just start talking about kind of the friendlies. Uh, first of all, some of them, mainly Arsenal's friendly friendly games, have been played at Emirates recently. Um, they've kind of tried to do what they they've done with the men's game and playing back to back friendlies at kind of the men's stadium. Um, so Olivia, how do you think that's been going? You've been to I mean, one of the games. Yeah, I, <laughs> I kind of predicted it to go like this because, uh, so I I last went to the Emirates Stadium in 2019 and they did a similar thing. Um, and it was a tournament with Bayern at the Emirates Cup. So it was a women's game and then the men's game played after. Um, and it just, it didn't work. You know, there wasn't, the fans didn't show up until the men's game and it was just the atmosphere was not great um so you know the whole prospect of the games being played at the emirates i was always a bit wary about as of such because i did you know we we didn't want the the same thing to happen again um but but it did so um <laughs> arsenal played against chelsea on august 1st in a pre-season friendly and uh it it, it lacked um a little bit because obviously the it's such a huge stadium that um, it's hard for any, you know, it, like for a women's crowd to fill. Um, and it just, you know, it angered you to see all these, you know, fans come in and after the women's game. And, and it, it, it was the same for today, but if not worse, because Arsenal played against Tottenham at the Tottenham ground. Um, but they played after the men's game and I think in a sense it was worse because you saw all of these fans filing out of the stadium just before the women's game um, and that you know the stadium was it was empty pretty much there was hardly anyone in there so um, yeah it's it's not great um, it's it's not great at all um, and especially it's not great if all of these league games are going to be played there um, because they're not going to have the same atmosphere as what they do in the small intimate stadiums. I don't know what you think about it, but um, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, um, I agree in that sense that the atmosphere will be better in the kind of the small stadiums. Um, I like kind of the concept of the women's team playing on the, in the men's stadium, because I think that's, that's good for the game in the long run. Like it yeah. will kind of give them more attention and visibility. Uh, yeah. which the women's game really needs. But I don't really want to see it kind of just end up failing miserably uh, with barely anyone coming and the atmosphere being poor and all of that. I, I want it to be done in the right way, and if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And I also think that so much of the women's game is having that sort of atmosphere at their games. It's not... You know, it's really personal. If you come to a game in England, I don't know what it's like elsewhere, but you know, you pretty much know all the players, and and just just even that, you know, they always take the time to come and see you, and uh, and it's not going to be like that if they go to all of these big stadiums. And uh, I I don't know. I don't know if it's particularly the step in the right direction for the women's game as of such. You know, I think that once they start filling. Um, because some of these grounds aren't even being filled anyway. Uh, Meadow Park, for example, um, it's only recently started to get you know nearer to full capacity. But um, once they start selling out after selling out after selling out, then yeah, I'd agree to it more, and I think it's more just justified. But it it's just not working at the moment, and I think clubs are seeing it still, and there's still this big push for them to play in these stadiums, but it's just not working. Yeah, um, I, I kind of feel like, um, well, 
I feel like they maybe should like do it in kind of women's football weekend when the men's game is on international break or something, and the only games are being played are kind of yeah the the women's games. Um, yeah, and that, maybe that's, that will kind of bring more people. That's into what the they state. did before, anyway. The uh, Arsenal versus Tottenham game back in I think it was twenty nineteen again, or it might be in twenty twenty. I can't remember. No, nineteen. Um, and and they played in the Tottenham Stadium, and it was. It was amazing to see all of these fans. It was like the biggest WSL capacity, I think. Um, and it was just amazing to see. And we all thought it was the future of the women's game. Like we can get in the crowds. But as you said, it's it needs to be maybe played on yeah days that the men, unfortunately, that the men's team are away. And then that is kind of the only time that they can really watch football live. Um is going along to support their women's team, and it and it shouldn't be like that. You know, you do want proper fans, and but for exposure, that's always going to be a good way. Yeah, it it really worked when uh, Manchester United played Manchester City in the first game of the season uh, in 2019 2020, uh, yeah. when they played at the Etihad, and I believe it was like thirty three thousand in in attendance there. Uh, yeah. And me watching kind of the game in from Norway, I think I thought the atmosphere was very good. Uh, yeah. So it shows that it can work, but I think they need kind of the right circumstances around it for it to work. Yeah, and I think also more promotion. It was really badly promoted. Like the game itself, both clubs hardly promoted. And I know it's a friendly and it's not a league game and. Not. But even if you searched up Arsenal versus Chelsea, it wasn't giving two times. It was only given the men's time. So many people weren't really aware that there was a women's game beforehand anyway. Um, and then it just, if they want to be taken seriously, they also need to manage it well. And the whole ticket scenario where they didn't come out until the day before and like being sent to customers, it was just the... I know it's only a friendly and it's pre-season and whatnot, but if you really want to take it serious and if you really want to be serious about playing in big stadiums and helping the women's team grow, you actually, you have to, you, you know, take it properly rather than, you know, being last minute rubbish. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, you briefly mentioned Arsenal versus Chelsea. Um and in that game, Arsenal had two, two debutants, I believe. Yeah, if I'm two. Not mistaken, Frida Monum and Simone Boyer. Um, so, what do you make of them in that game? Um, yeah, I, I think they, they they showed such good promise. It was they, especially with Simone; she hasn't really been there. I think both of them have barely been with the club for a matter of weeks. Um, but they just slotted in so well um, and just from watching it being there live and seeing it like it it was as if they'd been playing with each other for ages and not like I don't think no neither of them have any national team um, partnerships so it was it was quite surprising for me how quickly they settled in um, Simone she she played really well she was really solid at the back um, and I think the partnership as well that she had with um, Katie and Anna Patton was like, yeah, it was really good. And considering she'd only been there for, a, I think, she, when did she join? Like that week, I think she she joined. She was in training and then she played. Yeah, I think um, both of them joined that week. Both of them they? did, yeah. And then Frida is like, she's, I love her. She's such a good player. I really do rate her. And I think Arsenal was so lucky to sign her because I think she also had Chelsea looking at her. Um, yeah, and she she's just such a talent, and she's just natural with the, the ball. And uh, yeah, I mean they're both just talented player, and I think also it shows Arsenal um, assigning both senior and younger players. Um, and I think for me that's quite promising as an Arsenal fan. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I really praise uh, the signing of Little Modem in the previous episode. Um, I think it was kind of a really good choice from her to choose Arsenal uh, and also a very good signing for Arsenal. Uh, if Chelsea were interested in her, I'm glad she kind of didn't go there because she probably yeah. wouldn't have played at all. No. Because they're just buying everything that moves. 
I yeah, I've always said that Chelsea women are kind of like the Man City, um, the men's Man City of women's football in the sense that they really buy anyone that they want to, <laughs> anyone that's showing any bit of like potential, and 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 they can afford to, they can afford to, they can afford to do that. Like the amount of strikers they have is ridiculous. Lauren James, Frank Kirby, Beth England, Penil Harder, like these are huge names that they've got on their bench and. Yeah, I'm I'm really glad that she did go to a club like Arsenal and especially because she would be played and due to Arsenal's squad depth, they've got they don't have many, you know, um they can only normally field a starting eleven and then have a bench full of uh, academy players. That's just how Arsenal is really. Um which is hard to get your head around, but um I think it's also good for the academy players because in that game it was the 60th minute and both teams uh, swapped over their first teams for their academy teams. So we got to see the likes of um, Freya Yup and uh, and all of these great Arsenal academy players. And, and it gave us a lot of hope as well because it shows that we've, we've actually got quite a good academy team. Um, so yeah, that, that was also interesting to see and to see how they would perform on such a big stage. Yeah, um, I also think, as I said previously, that I think Freda Modern really fits into Arsenal um, with the way they play and the way she plays. Um, so yeah, good signing for them. Uh, Definitely. Arsenal won that game 2-1, if anyone was wondering and didn't really see it. Um, moving on to some other friendlies, uh, there have been some big uh, clashes between some big teams recently. Um, Bayern Munich played Lyon and won 4-2, which was, well, you might call it surprising given kind of Lyon's history recently, but they look to kind of be on the downward spiral a a little bit. And Bayern have just a really good team. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I agree. So, <laughs> Leon, I think people automatically, when they see Leon losing, uh, are a bit like, oh, you know, what's going on? But they are losing these big players, and especially like they're loaning out some of their best players to their team, like teams in America. And it's, it's um, yeah, it's suffering a little bit. And obviously, Bayern are just signing really good players and are actually building back up again. So, I think actually when you do look at the teams that both of them have, um, it was quite a predictable match in the sense that Bayern were on paper were going to win it. Um, yeah, they're they're good. They're a good team. Yeah, and I think it. I think just this win makes uh, by Bayern just makes it uh, is made more impressive in that the the they're miss they missed kind of a lot of their uh, big name players. I mean, Sydney Lohmann didn't play. Julia Gwynn, just back from her ACL injury, didn't play. Uh, and all yeah. their Swedes, Hannah Glass and Sofia Jakobsen and uh, yeah, you're right. Nat Bernstein and Saki Kumagai. Like, all of them have been at the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, so, so they didn't know, if, they didn't feature at all. And they still yeah. kind of beat Leon convincingly 4-2. Yeah, if Bayern's beating Leon with a team that's uh, stripped with a lot of their star players. And really, Leon, I don't... Were they missing too many players? I'm not too sure where... They weren't missing as many as Bayern, so I think it was, yeah, it was promising. If I was a Bayern fan, I'd be very happy. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's just a team with so much talent and a team I really like watching. So, uh, um, good, very, very in, interesting results. Uh, and what's kind of more interesting is that Leon lost four two against Bayern, but then kind of in their next next friendly they beat. Uh, reigning French champions PSG 5-1 which I don't know what is, what that says about Lyon at all I mean I don't know I I think there was probably more for, for the both of the players for the PSG and uh, Lyon players uh, more of a rivalry as a such rather than the Bayern game because they've you know they're always it's between well it's, it's mainly been uh, Lyon winning the league but since PSG um, won it. They've um, 
it's now more of a rivalry than it ever has done. So, um, yeah, I was a bit surprised because they've come off the back of such a heavy defeat, but that could have motivated them, I think, to, to win against PSG. And you also have to remember PSG is uh, is missing, you know, like Nadia Nadim, she's now gone. Um, and they're also missing um, Brun, but she's gone to Lyon. So, yeah. And Adler. Yeah, you're right. So I think <laughs> pre-seasons are always funny things because they can go either way. The biggest teams can lose and the smallest teams can win. So <laughs> it's like, it's always hard to tell how the season's going to go. But yeah, it was a quite surprising for me personally to see them lose at such a heavy rate, PSG. Yeah. Um, and kind of the final friendly game we will talk a little bit more about is a one, a one, uh, yeah, one that just finished recently. Uh, Barcelona beat Juventus six nil. Um, not a great start for Joe Montemur at Juventus. Absolutely not. Um, I, <laughs> the less you, you got to feel bad for him because uh, you know losing six nil is never good, but against Barcelona, I mean. Barcelona is such a good team and we already know they've got so much class but Juventus as well there's no excuse they've got some really good players on that team um and to to lose 6-0 I mean that that's that's bad uh and especially for, for Joe if he's trying to establish you know winning ways winning tactics and trying to stand his ground a little bit losing 6-0 in one of your first games is yeah it, it mm. I mean I never really I didn't really like his managerial style when he was at Arsenal. Um, personally, I, I I thought his tactics were a bit bland, and it was it wasn't the best football. Um, and I just thought, okay, maybe that was just an Arsenal thing. But you can only really hope that the results get better for Juve because otherwise, then you kind of start to question things a little bit. Um, yeah, it's not great. It's not a great start to the season, is it? No, um, but I think you also have to remember that. This can a game against Barcelona is considered a, a big game, and we all know Joe Montemurro's record in the big in games. In big games, yeah, yeah. you're right. <laughs> we know it too well. Um, yeah, obviously it's a big game, but I think once you start, you can't really have an excuse for your manager. So, oh well, it's it's like you know, oh well, it's fine. It's Joe. He doesn't show up in big games. Like, I mean, if we did that for every manager, it'd be like. <sighs> You can't. You just can't really excuse it, can you? If 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 it's a if it's an occurrence that happens, you know, time after time, uh, yeah, you, you don't. You wouldn't want him as your manager if he can't perform in big games. Yeah, I also think this game just uh, emphasizes how uh, good of a team Barcelona is. Yeah, um, I mean, I th- I think they're miles ahead actually of any team at the moment in the women's in the women's game. And I think they'll they'll win the Champions League again easily, um, unless something drastic happens and they start losing six <laughs> nil or they start losing seven nil. Then yeah, I really do think they're untouchable at the moment with the squad that they have. It's yeah, it's incredible, really good. Mm. It's also impressive that kind of they also got a new manager, although he was Luis Cortez's assistant manager. Uh, uh, yeah, when when he was in charge, so he kind of knew uh, what he, he knew was going squad. to, yeah, and, and the squad and so on. But he still no, it's, it's impressive for earn, anyone. Got it, yeah. He got to earn kind of the team's respect as head yeah. coach and all that, and maybe has done some tweaks to their playing style. Although I really doubt it. Barcelona will just play like Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think we have to talk a little bit about uh, Manchester United. Yeah, um, I think we do as well. <laughs> because uh, in the last episode, I was kind of really negative to everything that was about to happen there. Uh, and now all of it has happened. Um, they've announced all the signings we mentioned: Wilderbury, so Yifi uh, Mannion, uh, Sophie Bagley, Martha Thomas, 
Uh, I mean, um, Lauren James went to Chelsea and United got Blundell in return for some cash. Um, (laughs) I've kind of thought about, I've kind of thought more about it. Um, And I'm not as negative as I was last time because I do believe that they are, some of them are all right. Um, If Mannion can get back to her level, uh, she's a great signing. Uh, I already praised Willi Berisa. I think she's really good. Uh, Sophie Bagley will give Mary Earps a run for her money for that um, first choice goalkeeper spot. I think she might even take it from her. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. I think uh, with with man man. Uh, Oh my god. Yeah, I think she's um, only time will tell whether she's going to get back to where she was before. I mean, she was a really good player, but um, yeah, I don't know. Time will tell with her. Um, As for, you know, them signing a new keeper, um, I feel Mary Earps has kind of been untouchable in that position because nobody has really, they they don't have a, a good number two as of such for their goalkeeping. Um, and then you know the new signing will be, yeah, it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see who is actually that number one goalkeeper choice. Um, and as for Berisa, you know, she's such a good player, I would sign her in a heartbeat. So, um, I think she'll be good for Man United. Um, yeah, Blundell for Lauren James, <laughs> bit of an interesting one, but I think it's good for Lauren because she obviously didn't want to be at Manchester United, so. Um, but I also think it's bad because she won't be played at Chelsea. And if she is played at Chelsea, I will be very surprised. Uh, as for Hannah Blundell, I think she's I think she's good. Um, and you've obviously got that extra cash, so maybe you'll splash it on someone else, but probably not. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, the Man United sign-ins is really just a time thing. And we will see uh, as the season goes on how it you know their logic behind it so yeah i I kind of thought united were being mugged off when they they (laughs) swapped lauren jane for hannah blondell i think Uh, blondell's good though i I do she's she's good and united desperately needed a fullback i think well at least someone to improve that area and she's that she's an improvement on what they had apart from ona bache um so now they have kind of two very solid fullbacks. Um, so I'm not that negative to it, although I do believe they, I think they could have pushed a little bit harder for someone else, uh, maybe a Bethany England or yeah. a Guru Wrighton. Uh, I would even do a yeah, straight sure. swap uh, with one of those for Lauren James. I and think just... definitely Bethany England. Uh... She she has you know she's been in the competition with Penil, and now with Fram Kirby, uh, I don't. She played in the preseason actually earlier on. I think it was either today or yesterday. Um, she did get played, but once Penil's back and once Fram Kirby, you, I don't think she will get a place in the squad as of such. Um, and then I think she would have wanted a move to Man United. Uh, and I think that would have been the best for her. As for Guru Raitan, to have her on the bench at Chelsea is just criminal. I think every single... I think I said this last episode. Any football fan loves her. She's just such a good player. And I think she's wasted at Chelsea a little bit. She does get played. But when you've got a player like her, she should be starting every game, in my opinion. Like, 100%. Yeah, she's. I consider her world class. Yeah, I do. Um, uh, and Bettening probably just played a friendly because Frank Kirby was at the Olympics and Sam Kerr was at the Olympics. Yeah. Oh God, I forgot about Sam Kerr. How could I forget about <laughs> Sam Kerr? See, they're literally they've got too many forwards. I've I'm stating it now. They have too many forwards and too many world class forwards. Like Sam Kerr. God, how could I forget her? But. I don't really like her, but that's fine. I think I also like to add that uh, both Mannion and Bagley look relatively good in their in in today's friendly against Liverpool. Uh, 
Manion looked really solid defensively, and Bagley looked, was very calm uh, under pressure with the ball, a lot more composed than Mary Earps. Uh, and Berisa was also really good. Um, as for the, kind of the final signing, Martha Thomas, uh, th- that Manion and Bagley looked really good in their in today's friendly against Liverpool. Uh, Manion was very solid defensively yeah. and on the ball, and Bagley was very composed and calm under pressure. A lot more than Mary Earps is. Uh, Berisa was really good. Uh, Blondell was kind of underwhelming, but I guess she kind of needs more time. Yeah, I also think that players in that position as well, um, they do take more time to adjust, I'd also say, and shine through, I think. It's a hard position to really, like, oh, make make him, like, oh, she's really good, because unless you're, you know, slide tackling left and right, it's uh, (laughs) putting in these, like, you know, world-class defending moves, it's quite hard to, oh, you know, perform great as of such. Yeah, I just... But I just thought she was, she was kind of uh, not that great on the ball. Uh, yeah. So a lot of kind of, a lot of sloppy passes and poor touches. But it was yeah. the first preseason game, so I'm, I'm not going yeah, to I mean, read much too much into it and just let her give, give her time to, to improve. Yeah, some players need more time. Um, and as for kind of the final signing, Martha Thomas, she also played. She played a half today and wasn't very impressed. I mean, I can't really see why United signed her. It's 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 kind of rude to say, but it's it's a weird one. Yeah, right. I I do. It's a bit. Of, I've got a bit of a weird love hate relationship with that player. <laughs> I think she she had such a good season. I think it was um, like two years ago. I think um, and and she showed so much promise and people thought she was going to be similar to Miedema or something. And I didn't think she was going to be similar to Miedema. She's untouchable. But I thought she had a lot of promise to her playing. And then she had a couple, I think it was a couple of injuries and a couple of bad seasons with West Ham. Um, And then I I didn't really look into her too much. I didn't really follow her football. Um, and then, like, the whole thing about Man United signing her, I think I was a bit surprised because um, I mm, I don't know if she's completely... She's not... Let's be honest, she's not a replacement for Lauren James. Lauren James no. is better than her. Um, it will be interesting to see what she does at a bigger club like Man United because West Ham are really <laughs> a relegation-battling club at the moment, um, whereas Man United are obviously bigger. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was interesting. Um, all I want is the best for her because I think, she, I mean, she's a lovely person and she, she has got promise, but maybe she had promise. I don't know if it's going to get better for her. Um, yeah, I don't know. I feel kind of, she's 25, so, which is kind of that age that you're, you're entering your prime. Um, it's kind of, it's difficult to... Basically. Yeah, it's it's difficult to become much better than you are. Um, yeah. So, it she can't be she couldn't have been signed because of potential anymore. Uh, United kind of have this. Well, Casey Stone had this thing when she where she said that, uh, oh, uh, a, a player like Martha Harris, who's kind of in the similar age bracket, like twenty five, twenty six, that. Well, I'm looking forward to working with her uh, because she she can develop even further. And I think people need to stop doing that because when you're 25, you, you have reached kind of your level, I think. Yeah. No, uh, I you agree. W- you won't improve that much, uh, if at all. Uh, so. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree with you. I just think United should kind of look at a higher level of player than Martha Thomas. Uh, yeah, I think I think a club like um, without the scandals that they've recently had, let's just say that they never happened. Um, I think that they'd be able to recruit pretty much anyone. I think Man United are just you hear Man United and you think okay, they've got good players and they're actually challenging, potentially challenging for the WSL title. Um, 
And I think that for a team that's wanting to do that or is aiming to, I don't think she's exactly the star striker that they need. Um, no, and she's and she's just going to be a, a, such a clear second choice. I mean, Alessia Russo is a lot better than her. Yeah. Uh, when she's fit, obviously. Uh, uh, but yeah. Who else have they got there? It's just... It's, it, it, it's no one now. It's literally just. Uh, <laughs> it's literally just Martha Thomas. <laughs> wow. Let's just say that United are in need of attackers. Uh, I, I they're losing so like four of them. <laughs> wow. Uh, so yeah, I, hopefully Mark Skinner will uh, will recruit a forward or two uh, before the end of the window. Um, and speaking of Mark Skinner, he he was confirmed appointed. Uh, yep. Still a little confused why, uh, or kind of I'm not kind of that upset about the appointment itself, but I'm more kind of upset or confused by on what basis he was appointed, because looking at his managerial record at Orlando Prime, it was horrendous. Yeah, uh, and and that's kind of the most recently he has done, and that's what I think he should be. Be judged by. Yeah, I I think it was a a strange uh, appointment, but also maybe not a strange one. Uh, they probably, after Casey Stoney left, uh, they probably knew the real reason why she left, and it's quite a big thing for any manager to actually step into the Man United club as it is at the moment, and with all of the stuff that's gone on. Um, it's probably not at the top of managers' lists. Um, and I think he was probably the best out of a bad bunch of candidates, personally. I don't actually know the proper thing, but that's probably what's gone on. Um, and they probably thought, oh, he's managed Orlando Pride. Like, that's cool. They probably didn't even look at his uh, track record because, as you said, it's not the best. Um, yeah. I don't think he will get Man United their results that they need. Uh, and I don't really think he's that good of a coach. But, there's, you know, you've just got to kind of take it as is at the moment um, and see how it goes. Um, yeah, I don't think it was a good thing for Man United personally. I'm also kind of confused as to what took so long because they spent like over two months appointing him or confirming him. Uh, and yeah. it kind of felt like an obvious choice in a way. Yeah, he's got the most experience probably out of the candidates that they got. Um, yeah, but... and he has managed in WSL before and kind yeah. of did all right with Birmingham and they probably yeah, just looked and... at that. Yeah, that was probably what happened and I think they probably got rushed for um, rushed at the time as well like you need to pick somebody um, and it was a similar thing though for, for the Arsenal coach I think I said this last episode but there was like this whole two months I think maybe it was a month or so but it was a long time that they were that they were without a coach and it was everyone was like you know when are they going to be announcing this coach and and even then, I think they had some strange candidates. Like, even for Jonas to come forwards and say, look, I want to manage Arsenal. Like, that's that's a little bit strange. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, he's got experience with Champions League. But, um, yeah, I think both of the appointments are a little bit strange. But more so Mark Skinner. Um, and as you said, yeah, it was probably, yeah, pressured, I think. <laughs> Yeah, and what I do want to say is that now he's he's kind of at United. Uh, I'm obviously going to back him, although I'm not that excited about yeah, his appointment. But uh, what really intrigued me was kind of his first interview, which was kind of released today. I haven't he, watched it, so... <laughs> no, I think he said... He, I really felt like he said some quite interesting things about... Well, he was obviously very enthusiastic about being there uh, or, and being the manager of Manchester United. And that when that opportunity uh, uh, came forward, he, he just went for it. He, there wasn't any 
uh, thought process or anything. He wanted he wanted it, and uh, he, yeah. he seemed like he 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 knows what he has to do to deliver. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I find it funny, you know, it was like a <laughs> skip of a heartbeat decision because I don't think, I, I'd kind of written, written him off as a coach a little bit. So <laughs> I bet he was over the moon that he could get a job at Manchester United. But also just reading, because I've got it up at the moment, he, he actually like knows some of the players and um, yeah, and I think by the sound of it that they were quite happy to also get him. So I think it'll be interesting. It'll be an interesting partnership between the players and the manager and how and if he'll be able to deliver big results. Yeah, he has the, I think he has the right attitude for it. He, he, he sounded like it. Uh, and also after this, after today's friendly, he said that uh, he, he wants kind of the team to play attacking football and uh, express themselves and he will allow them to do that. So. I think that sounds promising, but there's a completely different thing of uh, backing his his words up. Uh, yeah. So I think it will be interesting to see. Uh, another thing is that since he knows some of the players, I really hope he doesn't like do the favoritism thing. I know I hate it. It's such a. I think I've noticed it's really prevalent in the women's game that the whole favoritism and starting players even when they shouldn't be i mean it's just across all of the game men's and women's to be honest that a manager that favoritizes i don't know if that's a word <laughs> favorites players over others even if they don't deserve to be there it's just i don't know if did he used to do that in uh, orlando do you know like i i really don't know really i don't, don't really know a lot about league. orlando I, really I agree. Uh, because I'm sorry to say, but Casey Stoney kind of did that. Yeah. With uh, Martha Harris and and, and Katie Sullivan and also Lucy Stanford last season. I mean, um, I think it was really sad how uh, in the in United's first season in WSL they signed Lotta Oquist, uh, a left back. I, I which I thought had kind of really good potential of becoming United's left back. And then she started Martha Harris a lot more, who's not as uh, no, yeah. not as good. Um in her prime and a lot worse. Uh and also towards or the second half of last season, I mean she, she Casey had a very functioning team that played really well in the first half of the season, and then she kind of forced both Salem and Stanley Ford into the lineup in the second half of the season and they kind of went downhill. Yeah. So I, mean, I really hope that doesn't happen with Skinner. And I know he has managed Mannion and Haley Ladd and also Stanley Forth before. So. Yeah, I mean, it's got the potential to do that, but we won't really know until the season starts. But I think I also, I give Man United such a hard time, but I forget. It's only now that you've said it, I've kind of forgotten that they were only promoted what was it, last season, their first time in, in the WSL, was it? No, the season before. Season before. This is well, the either way, season. like, it's, I think it's, yeah, I always treat them like they've been a club in the WSL for years, but really they haven't been. Um, so, yeah, it'll be interesting. No, it's kind of easy to forget because you'd think, you'd think Man name. yeah, Manchester United, big club, going to be, you know, <laughs> there from the beginning, but yeah, now that I think of it, they, they really weren't. <laughs> No, <laughs> sadly. But I have a genuine fear of like them become and they them finishing like fifth next season or this coming season. I think it's a possibility. Yeah. Um, definitely. But I think this is probably going to be one of the most open and competitive WSL seasons that they've ever had with Manchester City, Chelsea, Arsenal, and even I'd say. Everton, yeah. uh, Everton. Like I'm, I've really been rating that team. <laughs> You'll see me on Twitter writing Everton's going to win the league, but I'm not even joking. The, the team that they are building, I'm not going to say they're going to win it. Uh, that was more of a joke, but I'd say definitely pushing for top three, 100. percent And they're capable of doing that. Uh, Manchester yeah, United, 
like yeah maybe fourth fifth I was predicting them and I don't I think it's a shame because last season I predicted them to, to come like third I think it was um yeah <laughs> I don't know <laughs> yeah Everton are just recruited uh, some very interesting players yeah really interesting and with the players that they've already got like yeah yeah it's good I think we will fit end this episode talking about kind of the main thing that's been going on <laughs> recently, the Olympics. The elephant in the room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> where do you want to start? Because there are quite a few things. We've got a few about. we've got a few points written down. I mean, my first reaction uh when you say the Olympics is USA underperforming. <laughs> yeah, they what were was shocking. going on? <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, Twitter was a funny place when they were playing. All the memes flying about. But honestly, America, the USA, like they are giants of women's football, and somehow, yes, somehow they still got a bronze. But we were expecting them to come in, you know, do what they did like the other Olympics before, get their gold medal, go back home, you know, and and it just wasn't like that this year. Um, they were just so poor, and it was shocking. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they 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 both played really poorly and got didn't really get any good results. No, didn't right. they? They they went through with one win, one draw, and one loss, didn't they? Yeah, I think they did. And then they beat the Netherlands on penalties. And I mean, that was <laughs> that was a heartbreaking match to watch. I don't think they should yeah. have won that, uh, but. <laughs> And I think, like, well, looking at their team, you you probably make them made them favorites before the tournament started. But yeah. looking kind of at at Twitter and kind of look and people who who watch the USA regularly, they they weren't really that surprised about them going out because they don't. I don't think they rate Vatko and Andonovsky. That what it's called, probably. I think so. Yeah, like yeah, I they mean, don't they... really rate him as a coach and what he's been doing with the team and the players he's picking. Yeah, it's questionable. Some of them definitely should not still be in the squad. Some of them should definitely have already retired. Um, hello, Carly Lloyd. Hello, Carly Lloyd. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean. <laughs> um, I think what was it? They they po- it was the World Cup. They posted Megan Rapino and Carly Lloyd's combined age of like seventy four, and I was like, "That's yeah. not something to flex about." <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, they're, they're past their due date. Some of their players, but they yeah. like the, I think there was two players on. I can't remember their names. Um, oh, that's really bad. I need to. There, but there were two players specifically. I remember that should have been playing. And everyone online was saying these should be the two players on the pitch, and they were, I think they were young players, and they were got real promise. But I think the thing with America is the USA is that they've had the same lineup for years after years after years, and it's kind of untouched. Very rarely is that lineup changed, kind of thing. It's that sort of situation. You always have like these certain players starting every game, and it's a bit boring. Yeah, I think kind of that's one of their weaknesses. I mean, it's obviously great to have longevity and consistency in in kind of the squad. Uh, yeah. But you also at some point you also have to switch them out with with younger players that can kind of emerge and take their places. Uh, and the USA have a really aging squad. Uh, a lot of their players are over thirty, uh, closing in on kind of retirement. But they don't really have that, that that many young players coming through. No, that's the thing. It's, um, they've always got all of their old players training with their squad, and they I hardly ever see, you know, these youth players actually making it onto the team. <laughs> you know, they're just really poor integrating them. They just yeah, they just don't play. So 
it's going to be they're going to have one of the worst i'm i think they're going to have one of the worst transitional stages when these big like when these old players are retiring they're going to have one of the worst transitional stages because they have not been easing these youth players into the team it's going to come as a shock to them it's going to be like okay look they retired the other day we need you and they're going to be like well i haven't played a game for like professionally like what's going on (laughs) it's going to be a situation like that um yeah, and I, I think, think that's so. kind of what's going to happen like soon because I think that was Carly Lloyd's last tournament. And I don't think she's that good, but she's a big part of that team for leadership, I'd say. And same with when Megan Rapino, when she retires, and even like Tobin Heath and all of these big names, when they retire, like there's going to be these huge gaps. And whether they're good at the moment or not is questionable, but there's still going to be these huge gaps to fill. Yeah. I think it was really funny watching Carly Lloyd in one of the games, by the way, because she spent. I think she spent more time laying on the on the pitch than actually running and yeah, but... doing something productive. <laughs> she really see... like ends up on the floor all the time for some reason. I know she does that in the game, but then after the game, did you see the Megan Rapinoe interview when it was like, oh, you know, this is our lo- like one of our last tournaments, and then you've just got like Carly doing these massive commando runs in the background and just sprinting yeah. about and doing sit-ups <laughs> it's the funniest thing yeah because thing. she probably didn't run during the game because it was too busy late yeah exactly <laughs> she's just like oh i've got all this energy i need to like oh <laughs> yeah um, well anyway speaking of uh, who we didn't expect to do so well sweden what happened um, they played almost their tournament of their lives and looked really good. Like yeah. they looked like the best team uh, in they, the whole I, they Olympics. Were, in my and, opinion, and the best team. And, yeah, they there's, were as well. There's, I mean, for me, Canada was so silent throughout that tournament. I personally didn't have any standout. Like, oh, Canada did so well. Like, oh, they deserved this gold medal. And obviously, the, the the players do. They got that far. They won like they won their games and whatnot. But just Sweden, like, uh, wow, incredible. And the players that they have, they have obviously their senior players like Caroline Sega. But then they also have Anvergaard and they have Benenson and they have, it's just, it's a harmony. You can tell I love this team and I'm a Denmark fan, so that says a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, should we really be that surprised about them looking kind of at their team? Because they have no, so many definitely not. But they kind of go, go under you... the radar. I think that's the issue. I think they've gone under the radar for so long. But actually, when you look at the clubs that their players play for, like Bayern and all of these huge teams like Chelsea, and they all play for big clubs, but they just come together and they work so well. And I think the problem was is that they went under the radar um, for a while, which is strange because they did do well in the Olympic, uh, sorry, the World Cup. Uh, yeah, they're kind of like a dark horse a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see how they do uh, in the Euros next year because they play really good yeah, football as well um, and they really gel as a team. They do. It's it's in it's enjoyable to watch as well. I think that's one of the main things. But I I actually predicted them to come first in the Euros. Um, as much as I'd love Denmark to win, um, and to you know avenge the Netherlands after they came second, I genuinely I don't even think. That's in the equation. I think Sweden's going to win it, and it's going to be between them and Spain because Spain's now in the Euros, aren't they? I think they are. Yeah. Yeah, they are. So, uh, yeah, definitely, it's going to be a huge tournament, and I look forward to watching it. I just have a love for Germany. Um, because, yeah, I because mean... they, I think, I really think they kind of have this new generation coming through with so many find... under twenty ones. Yeah, I find that interesting actually because I've they've kind of had a drop off stage for the past I think it's year or so. They really have not been performing at their best. But they've had so many like senior players retiring, um, going out on injury and whatnot that they yeah, they were kind of thrown into that position. They didn't really have time to ease themselves in. Um but the team that yeah, as you said, the team that they're growing now, actually when you look at it is it's quite good 
and they've got a lot of good tip players. Um, yeah, it's it's a good, it's exciting time for international women's football, and in fact, club football as well. Um, both of them, it's really exciting. Yeah, a little well sidestep. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm just very interested to see how Germany does in the Euros next year after having another year together and with kind of their their tra- transitioning in a way. Yeah, I agree. Um, so I think we also need to, well, we talked about the United States, uh, and you also mentioned Denmark avenging the Netherlands. So I think we have to talk about the Netherlands, and, the Netherlands. and their yeah. Olympics. I think, uh, um, I think it was good. It was really good for them. Uh, they're just such a good team. Uh, you know, they came second in the World Cup, then came uh they came first in the euros and they've just had this sudden boom it was before 2017 they were they were like a very quiet team they weren't that great they didn't have very many great players and then since 2017 they have just it's taken them all by storm they have players like Miedema I mean she's class everyone knows her she's the goat but uh you know they have Van der Donk and Dominique Janssen and they have good players, um, but I also think they've got players kind of like the favoritism thing with Casey Stoney that kind of shouldn't be playing. Like, um, hello, Spitzer. Hello, yeah, but <laughs> she she didn't have and, a great. Uh, Van der Sandem. Yeah. Oh my god! So both of them. That these were the two players I was going to mention. So I'm glad you also agree because they are purely being played for their name. Uh, the Netherlands has got. I think they've got quite a good backup keeper. I, I, I've forgotten her name. Yeah, Do you Lisa know who Kopp she is? Or whatever. Yeah, well, she's she's good. And she, I think she's better than uh, Sari. So, yeah, I think they're being played because of their names. I think they're definitely past their time on that team with the talent that's on it. Um, but, again, it was unfortunate, the heartbreak that the Netherlands suffered, because I think that they should have actually beaten the USA. Um, I think it was just unfortunate, but it was one of those things. And Viv missed a penalty, but again, no, Le- she's Lady Martin's missed a penalty in in regular time. Oh uh, yeah, Martin's did in in regular, and then Viv, yeah, the penalty she out. But yeah, I think they've got good players, and uh, again, the Euros is going to be such a crucial thing for them. Um, and it it will be interesting to see how they do. I think they would have won if kind of. They started with Lynette Bernstein at right wing instead of uh, Van der Sommel because she's just she's, she's just useless. She's finished a little bit. She's finished. There's... I'm sorry, but she's useless. <laughs> yeah, in but she kind of has been since after since... the Euros. It's yeah. it was like she's still. I I just can't believe she's still making the starting lineup every single time. I she barely misses a game and she's just not great it's just there's so many better players and younger players yeah and she shouldn't have even made it to the olympics in the first place because they have kind of katia's noise who's been smashing in goals for bordeaux and and also joel smith's uh the psv psv um i think like both of them should have gone ahead of her um and yeah. I also think so. I think kind of it was a good time that uh, this was Serena Wigman's last tournament with them. Yeah, and I also think that the new manager uh, will will see the faults and hopefully improve for it for the Netherlands. Yeah, um, I hope so. Because otherwise, uh, we're just stuck in this cycle again, as what we were saying earlier of just favoritism and big names being played, but really. She's not the best player for that position. And same with Sari. You know, she made so many mistakes. And it was like... And I I followed her a little bit after she left Arsenal. But that was really it. Arsenal was... I think that was the last... You know, when she was in her prime kind of thing. She was good at Arsenal. Um, but after that, I think it all kind of went downhill for her a little bit. Yeah, and I think another thing is that it it's not it wasn't surprising that she made mistakes during the Olympics because 
she's been making howler after howler in the Eredivisie for for PSV uh, during the season. Uh, so I just don't know why she started. Uh, I think a final thing about the Netherlands for for me is that they've done due to kind of this favoritism, they've done a really poor job uh, transitioning away from Spitze at defensive midfield. Um, she was ruled out of the Olympics because of an injury. Uh, but then, And I don't really have a replacement for her. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I mean, she's such a crucial player for, for them. You know, leadership as well. Yeah, well, she's crucial in terms of leadership, but on the pitch, in terms of from a football perspective, she isn't really all that. Yeah. She shouldn't. She, I don't think she should play. I, I think, think she only gets played because of her leadership and yeah. she's a big part of that team. And I think that was a huge blow for the actual team, like the teammates and that. Rather than... And obviously that that's had an impact on the football that they played. I don't really think that there was a major fault with the football that the Netherlands played. I just... Well, they, their defence was very leaky. Yeah, there was... I suppose there was the defence, yeah, all right. So, I think that was kind of the main issue. And obviously they're... Maybe, no, actually, no. Maybe they just didn't play that great. But, again, they've got, like, this huge reputation on their sh- shoulders. Like, if you think of giants of women's football at the moment, you think of the Netherlands. Um, and they didn't have any home fans and they didn't have... I think that was a major thing as well at the Olympics. They didn't have any fans there. There was only like a handful of journalists and uh, whatnot. And the Netherlands is especially is used to filling out these huge stadiums with their fans. So um, it was probably a bit strange. Yeah, I think a lot of Dutch fans will agree with me that um, they, they they kind of should should have or Wiegman should have kind of found an, a replacement for Spitze at the end and, and kind of try that more often and not just yeah. play her all the time. Uh, I think yeah, especially with Dominic her age. Janssen could do a job there. Yeah, uh, I agree. I mean, she's such a good player, Janssen. And I think during the Olympics, I mean, Shaki Gronen had to play there. Uh, and while she, I think, I thought she was one of their best players uh, during the tournament, she she isn't really alone dm she's kind of she's kind of this very she's very clearly a number eight a box-to-box midfielder that yeah really does the hard yards defensively but also does so much uh, offensively in terms of playmaking and making space for others so playing her at defensive midfield kind of just disrupts their the, the their team dynamic. Yeah, I agree. Uh, uh what else have we got? Team G be underperforming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean they they did, didn't they? Let's be honest. They they, I I, mm, it's a bit of a hard one. They've got such good team, and they were just underwhelming. It was just, I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't necessarily say they were underperforming. I just think they were underwhelming. They came into like the the competition with like all of these huge players like Leah Williamson and, you know, Frank Kirby's back from injury and, well, supposedly, but she kind of got a bit injured again. And they've got these big names, but it just didn't really happen for them. Ellen White, uh, she's still, I mean, she's still scored all of their goals pretty much, but she... <laughs> She just offside, offside, offside. It was continuous. It was like, you think of a senior player, they should know the offside rule. And I think it was kind of stuff like that throughout the tournament that kind of came the downfall of Team GB. Yeah, I also... It's always funny with Team GB or England because they always have these high hopes for before every tournament or big tournament. (laughs) <laughs> they uh, do and then they just fail it's all the just time the, I think it's the general public just hypes them up too much <laughs> it's like yeah. they always sing it's coming home especially with England I'm just like you know, oh. no it really annoys me but um, yeah they had these huge things like hopes for it and 
it just didn't really happen, did it? It wasn't really their tournament. But it was also, it was just, I guess it was good because the chemistry, that was pretty much all Man City versus whatever country because it was yeah. only mainly Man City players. But <laughs> um, yeah, it lacked a lot of diversity in it, I think, also. There was like I, I, two I think, Scotland players. I think eight Manchester City players played in their first game. Yeah, it was. It was. It was. Game. That was it. It was like, oh, I, I'm not getting up at four a.m. to watch Manchester City play. But no, like there was definitely players that I think should have been selected. Like Lisa, I think should have been selected. Um, who else is there? Beth England. Like there, there were players that definitely should have played. Jordan Nobbs. Oh my God. Yeah, and and Jordan as well. Like I know she got injured in that friendly tournament, but um. Uh, but she was playing so good, like the she was having the football game of her life, um, and I think that the Olympics would have been amazing for her. I think it would have done so. She would have done so good, and she would have like, she would have, you know, she would have added so much to that team, and it wouldn't just be Man City and whatnot. She, I think she would have been a great asset. Do you think? Like similar, to, similarly to kind of the USA and the Netherlands in a way that favoritism is or was kind of part of Team GB. Yeah, definitely. There's no doubt about it. I think it's there's so yeah, definitely. There's players that should be in that team that aren't, and there were players that should have been in the USA team that aren't, and. And I think women's football needs to move away from that swiftly if they want to be showing this exciting game and that's going to be like, you know, all these clips like Wonder Kids, you know, shooting in goals and they need to move away from the Carly Lloyds and they need to move away from the, I don't know, Sari and Van der Sand and they need to move away from these players that are past their time and are just, you know, making careless mistakes and aren't the best for the job. They need to have this new talent and they need to bring it in and that's just going to help them out in the long term there's like you can't stop players from aging and you can't stop players from retiring it's just at what stage they need to introduce these new players and they need to expose them to these big stages because otherwise they're going to have these huge massive transition stages that the women's football suffers from so much Yeah, I, I think so too. Um, I think the final thing we need to talk about is uh, actually a young player uh, emerging on the kind of the big stage during the Olympics, uh, Barbara Banda from Zambia. She had a really good tournament and she scored three uh, hat-trick against the Netherlands. And it, yeah, yeah, she, she just looked really good. She looked so good. I don't think anyone had heard of her. I don't. I, genuinely, I don't think anyone had heard of her before the Olympics. Um, but oh my God, she played like she could play. Like she, she, It was as if she played for a Chelsea or like a Man City or even just a PSV. Like she played like a big player. And she turned up on that stage and she just loved it. It was amazing to see a player that nobody had heard of just showing up and playing this amazing football. It was incredible. I really was impressed. And the hat-trick against the Netherlands, yeah, the final result was like, was it 7-3 or something? I Nah, 10-3, I think. Right, 10-3. Even, <laughs> even worse. Yeah, the result wasn't great, but scoring a hat-trick against these players like the Netherlands is... is That in itself is incredible for such a small team as well. Like, it was incredible. Um, so, <laughs> somebody needs to get her on their radar because sh- she's got the potential to be incredible. Yeah, she looks like she's she 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 showed that she's way too good for kind of the Chinese league where she's playing now. She she needs yeah. to be snapped up by someone. For sure. So yeah, I think that was really fun a fun part of the Olympics, just seeing a complete unknown. Yeah, and it was the complete opposite as well. Like we, it was a complete opposite to the boring, you know, teams that we're used to seeing, like the same lineups, the same. Like seeing a player like her, just 
it was refreshing and it was exciting. The football that she played was exciting and yeah, it was amazing to watch. So for sure, I'd love to see her come over here or come, come even come to Europe and just be in a better league and be for a better, like play for a better team and see how she'd do over here. Yeah, and just kind of get the get more visibility and and, yeah. and show off her talent because it's it, it's clearly there. Yeah, definitely. I mean, she demonstrated it. So, mm. I think we'll let that be the last words of this podcast. Yep. Um, it I got agree. longer than I expected. I know we weren't <laughs> expecting it to be this long. I mean, I know we had the little mishap with uh, me thinking I was on mute, but other than that, <laughs> yeah, we, I think we did well to fill out the time. <laughs> yeah. Thank yeah, you again, great. Olivia, for for joining. No, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. I enjoy doing it. So, uh, yeah, hopefully more to come. <laughs> yeah, definitely, we will get you back on. Um, yeah. Thank, Thank you. you to everyone who's going to listen to this podcast. Please share share with your friends if you want. And also give us feedback on, on Twitter at, at footballengine1 uh, is kind of the, our Twitter hand, handle. Um, so other than that, we will try to be back soon again. Uh, and we'll talk to you then. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>